0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell.
1: Hi, welcome back to Money & Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and with me this week is Tom from AJ Bell, who's stepping in for Laura, who's gone clubbing in the med. Hello. Our guest is freelance journalist Holly Black, who writes for the Sunday Times, Shares and lots of other places.
2: Hello. Hello, so this week we're going to talk about the hidden cost of Brexit, how fund managers are rubbish at explaining how your money is being used, the impact of charges when you're drawing on your pension, and how spending habits are changing in the leisure sector. Hang on, Tom. What?
1: I thought you said... Brexit are being postponed until after Halloween. So why why is it back in the podcast?
2: I, I, like, I like the idea that I decided that Brexit was postponed <laughs> until Halloween. I would have postponed it for much longer than that if it was uh, if it was my if it was my call. So uh, I, I apologize. The first time I've ever hosted a podcast, the first thing I'm going to talk about is Brexit. But it's not really Brexit as as such. So one of the one of the issues with this whole process of leaving the the, the European Union, and I'd be more than happy to never talk about it again. But one of the issues is that. The, the government is now unable to do anything other than the process of getting us out of there and whatever kind of withdrawal agreement you're going to have or a Norway deal. The whole time in Parliament has been taken up by this process and trying to decide a way to do it in, in a way that's not going to be too damaging to the UK economy. And so there's loads of... Important legislation, important pensions business, and you knew I was going to get it back to pensions eventually. <laughs> um, there's some important pensions business that the government wanted to get through that now it looks like it's probably not going to be able to. So it needs this time in Parliament to debate any change it's going to it's going to do. But because of This extension potentially until Halloween. I think that, m- that must be a joke that they don't know until <laughs> Halloween someone's got a good sense of humor, so haven't many they? Dates to pick <laughs> <for all. laughs> so, as a result, the, the government wanted to bring in a pensions bill this year to uh, introduce loads of change that it wants to bring through, but it's probably not going to be able to do that unless something massive changes between now and then, everyone all of a sudden agrees on some stuff. So We've just been through some of the things that the government wanted to do or should be doing but isn't going to be able to do as a result of that, certainly this year anyway, so we don't know when it's going to happen. So there was some important pension scams legislation, so we've talked about this on the podcast before, So um, the government's introduced a ban on pensions cold calling, which was a really good move, something that a lot of people campaigned about for a long time. Um, but there were supposed to be two other measures that went alongside that. So one measure that would make it a lot harder for these scammers to set up dodgy schemes. So that it was banning, uh, banning uh, people from setting up what's called a SAS um, where it's uh, where it's where there's no uh, there's there's no employer behind it, so it's linked to a kind of shell scheme. Um, so you so the government was going to ban that. They've not been able to do that yet because they've not had enough time. Um, and they were also going to make it easier for providers to reject reject tra- transfers to dodgy looking schemes. So that's one thing that they've not been able to do, and it, there's no sign that they're going to do it yet. Um, Pensions dashboards, another thing which we've ta- talked about before on the podcast. So this idea that um, we're going to have uh, all of our pensions in one place online, so it'll help people kind of merge the pensions, know what they've got, and then make decisions further down the line. So we're not going to get that anytime soon. Collective DC schemes. So again, I think that's something we've talked about previously. So these are a bit like old style with profits policy. So the government wants to allow um, employers to set up these collective type schemes, which allow everyone to bundle all their money together. And the idea is that, It'll still be your own pension pot, so it's not like a defined benefit scheme, but there's a little bit less volatility because all your money's pulled together as one. So again, that's something the government's incredibly positive about, but it's not been able to get over the line yet because it needs the rules and the regulations and the legislation to get that scheme into, into force. Um, another one. I'm gonna. Give, I'm gonna be done yeah. with this listing. A yeah. price. Um, midlife MOT So this is quite a quite a nice one. I think that most people would be on board with. So the government wants. Um, it's concerned that people don't think about their personal finances enough during their life, which is one of the reasons that automatic enrolment was introduced for pensions and things like that. So um, the government wants to uh, require employers to set up what it calls a midlife MOT, so somewhere at the age of 40 or 45, where um, your employer would have to set up an appointment with an independent guidance service to go through your finances, just just to kind of give people a nudge to think about their retirement plans, to think about their debts, to think about... Um, student loans, any other issue, mortgages, any other issues that they might want to be thinking about at that point in time. So I think the main thing that they're thinking about there is pensions and people who perhaps haven't saved enough looking at their retirement pop perhaps seeing it's a bit pitiful and deciding to pay in a bit more money
1: because they've had this nudge because yeah, i thought it sounded quite interesting i'd not come i don't i've not come across this sort of concept that there's going to be this mot well and and there uh, might not be
2: then yeah. midlife mot now so some some employers have done it already but the issue with something like this is clearly employers have got loads and loads of other priorities and so the only way you're going to get this nationwide is bringing in legislation and to have legislation you need to have parliamentary time so this is something that the pensions minister galperman has said he really wants to do but he's not able to do it because he's not able to get the rules in place so he's kind of trying to say to employers i want you to do this i want you to set up these midlife mots but the vast majority of employers aren't going to be interested in doing something like that unless the government introduces a rule that forces them to do it
0: Because gets super depressing to get that email when you're sitting at work with your morning coffee and biscuit though you're basically getting really old <laughs> did you realize you should probably start saving money yeah absolutely
2: yeah. and there is an interesting debate actually around the midlife mot as to whether um doing it in your 40s is a good idea so should you for example be looking at nudging people earlier so in the in their 20 it could
0: trigger a lot of midlife crisis and like <laughs> sudden, sudden resignations yeah true yeah
2: being told being told that, although, although I think if I was told at 45 that it was it was the middle of my life I'd probably be I'd, I'd probably decide I was at the middle of my life when I was kind of I don't know 40 35 I know on life expectancy trends that's not the case but I, I would think when I when I hit 40 I'll be thinking I'm somewhere yeah somewhere i think that's a reason of my life thing, isn't it yeah no, i
0: don't think you will because you think when you're that's tr- you think when you're 10 that 20 sounds really grown up
2: and yeah that is the, that is the classic thing actually isn't it you i think i think when i when i was in my 20s when i thought about i thought i want I'll, I'll, i won't i won't i won't be a serious human being until i reach 30 <laughs> and then you hit 30 and you kind of just push it 10 years down maybe i'll be 70 and just be, I'll, I'll have my midlife mot when i'm when I'm 80, and then <laughs> that'll be fine, won't it? Yeah. Um, so, th- I mean, that's, 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 there's loads of other business from the government that, um, that, that should have been happening across the board, not just on pensions, but other things. Um, and, it, and, and I think it just goes to show that the, the impact of Brexit isn't just the stuff that you read about in the press, but it's stuff that the government isn't able to do um, as well. I think, I think in terms of retirement, I guess the one positive thing is, in a way, the government hasn't been able to do anything. Um, and so while the negative is they've got all these reforms that they want to bring through that um, that they believe will be a positive for, for savers. one of the big problems that people have have raised around pensions is the fact that you've got this constant moving feast. the rules always change. you never know what you know you don't know what the rules are going to be from one year to another. And in the past three years we've had this weird period of, stability I mean it's not been stable in any other way but because there just isn't any time or any resource to think about pensions the government's actually left it all alone so there's things that they could be improving that they're not improving but they're not fiddling around at the edges at least so that's that's one one good thing yeah I do
0: think it's a bit frustrating though because like you say some businesses have already bought in these measures under their own volition mm. and so you could be doing that there is you know, a department in the in the building that yeah. could be sorting that out, and it's a little bit frustrating that it has to wait for government legislation to yeah. do things that are quite a lot of the time just common sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, I think certainly some employers will be doing some of this stuff at the moment, but I guess it's I guess it's making it so it's a a fair system across the whole country so that everybody's. Doing it, and clearly there will just be some. There will there will be some. There'll be some employers that are great who really uh, who really think about what their staff want and worry about it, and uh, are and, uh, uh, interested in staff retention, and will do all this stuff without. You don't need the government to tell them to do it. But there'll be some who always will just do the bare minimum when it comes to any kind of employee benefits type stuff.
1: Yeah. So, so Holly, you've been looking at. Um, so- Tr- lack of transparency with investment mm. funds and and why um, it's kind of really hard to find out what's inside investment funds uh, apart from the top 10 holdings so so what have you what have you found in your investigations in
0: yeah it i I was genuinely surprised by when I did some research on this how poor funds mm. are at disclosing because I think that's your money you're giving it to a fund manager I know that you've chosen them for their skill but There isn't really any other service in life where you would hand over your money and not know what's being done with it. Um, Or, you know, you wouldn't know how much it's actually charging you or how it's, you know, what the ingredients are on the back. So I went through oh too many funds, to be honest, and tried to find when they last published their full list of holdings Mm. and most of them only do this twice a year because that's all all you have to do and it's it's not in an easy to find fact sheet like when you log on to your fund supermarket or go onto the website it's actually in each fund has a report and accounts so it's in that and they do an annual one and an interim one and buried right at the back really far down is this full list of holdings and that's really great and it really lays out you know um allocations to sectors and individual stocks and their their biggest con- contributors and detractors from performance and the biggest uh, stocks they've bought and sold um, but because of the way regulation is it, so that's only done every six months and then it could be on a time lag of about three months and we found examples where some of the information was 15 months out of date And so I just think if you're trying to choose a fund, say you've got two equity income funds, the performance is the same-ish, the top ten holdings look kind of the same, how is an individual investor supposed Mm. to make an educated decision if one has maybe got some information that's six months old and one is 15 months old and – you, yeah, you can't compare and contrast. So what,
1: what's their what's their argument if if you were to say to a fund, you know, why aren't you publishing this on a daily basis? What what I presume they all say the same thing, don't they? Is well, it?
0: a lot of them say a lot of them use competitive advantage, and we don't want. Um, we don't want people just replicating the portfolios, which I think is a bit of a nonsense because, mm. I mean, most of us don't really have time even to manage our portfolios, let alone go out, track the individual 86 shares in that one <laughs> and buy them all and then think of the trading costs involved in that. We don't We don't want mm. to copy the managers. We just want to know what's in there. Mm. And then they also say it's to protect the competitive advantage from other funds. But that is also a bit of a nonsense because... Most of that information is actually available to institutional investors, so other fund managers or uh, pension funds and professional investors. They can get that information, so it's literally just the the retail investor who is the least likely to to do anything with that information that can't have it.
1: So it's, it's... there's probably some examples of funds that are very good at this. You know, they're very, very transparent. It's like Neil Woodford is is got this reputation for for telling everyone. I guess the the flip side is that he's an easy target because everyone knows what is in it. And every time an individual holding has bad news, they go, na, 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 na. You another know, <laughs> one of Woodford's um, mistakes. You know, it's like...
0: I do feel really sorry for... they pretty immature, f- aren't they?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 I imagine fan managers are phoning him up saying yeah. exactly that as yeah. well.
2: That, that, that's an interesting point, though. I mean, is that, do you think that's part of the reason why some of the other fund managers don't want to be transparent? Because actually, somebody like Woodford has stuck his neck out and has been incredibly transparent with all of his holdings. And he's had an absolute kicking yeah. in. But the imagine press for if all he'd have had a really reasons. good
0: three years. Yeah, then, yeah. Then it's he difficult. would be this trailblazer. But yeah, I think that maybe has put people off because yeah, everyone you know, AA has a bad day, and everyone's like, "Oh, Woodford has this much of this," and there's yeah. a whole story about it all of a sudden. So, yeah, I I think that I think that has probably put yeah. people off, and that's a real shame because if I think if his performance had flown then it it could have actually laid the groundwork for some more progress it's it's,
2: it's, it's probably like with the um, the mot thing we were talking about i guess you probably need you'll have some people who will just do something like this because they think it's the right thing to do but ultimately you you need a, a regulator or somebody to say this is the standard that we want if you're going to have daily you know daily updates and people to be able to see everything live then somebody's going to have to force these companies to do it, particularly if they're saying it's a competitive advantage.
0: Well, some, some fund houses say, oh, investors don't want to know. <laughs> 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 You're right, I, do, I, don't, I don't care. But they know us um, all
2: so well. But yeah. I think a lot,
0: a lot of it is you don't... An investor doesn't know what they don't know yet. I mean, a few years ago, no one was talking about fees and charges, mm. and it's only when it comes up and people then start going, oh, actually... Yeah, you're right. I don't know what that is actually costing me in pounds and pence. That then, then you want to know. So it's only when, when you realise where the gaps in your knowledge are.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that because I think um, I, I often come across um, the same argument when people talk about engagement and whether or not you should be trying to engage people with investing and saving. And people, some people will just say nobody is ever going to engage, so don't bother. Build a system for people who, who don't engage. But actually, you should you sh- you should be setting up the system in a way that. Everything is available. Everything's there. You do all you can to make sure that people are fully informed and they want to take these kinds of decisions. And then, if you have that for a period of time and no, still nobody engages, no matter what you do, then maybe you start to think about you know other things and different ways that you can nudge people in. But to say that people aren't interested in this information, I mean, if if you can, if the people are interested, then it makes no difference. Does it produce the information and nobody will look at it and everything will be exactly the same? So I don't. Understand, that seems like a very odd argument to not yeah. to not pr- to not be transparent
0: but you're I mean presumably you're coming out from a pensions point mm, of view there I, would, I mean it's probably because I'm hanging around with really cool people that talk about <laughs> pensions loads. but I do think engagement's getting better my husband came home the other day and he he went to me did you know um pension contributions have gone up this month we got a letter about it yeah yeah like, yeah oh okay <laughs> He's not engaged with finance, so yeah, that was yeah. that was a big deal. Yeah, pensions <laughs> yeah. is
2: getting very cool.
1: That
0: <laughs> That's just what your badge says.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, t- t- yeah, Tom, you've been looking at. Um, we were talking about charges, there, Sam. You know, you've been looking at charges for when you take your money out of your pension, yes. and actually, you know, th- and this is quite an interesting area where the, the, the charges quite wide. Um, whilst this is this, there is definitely transparency in the market. It's whether investors are really th- bothering to take a look.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we've um, we looked at uh, some some charges figures that were given in um, an FCA study, so a study by the Financial Conduct Authority, um, recently. So it looked at the the different um, charges that people who are in drawdown, so taking uh, leaving their pension invested while taking an income, the different charges that they could pay at that point in time. Um, so quite an important, obviously, period in people's lives. So they, they the FCA suggested that the charges ranged from 0.4% to 1.6%, and it's this classic thing, really, where quite or if you if you look at those two numbers um, on on their own, and you're you know not the kind of person who's engaged in finance, like like where you might look at those two things and think, oh, it's much of a much as you know four not 0.4% versus 1.6% you know, 1.2% in between them it's not going to make much difference to my overall outcome I'll just pick the one pick the pick the company with the you know the nicest website or the shiniest thing or whatever but um if you run those numbers through over retirement the impact can be quite big so we we looked at two different investors Um, each with um, £100,000 to start with, so nice, easy number to kick off with. Um, Both 65 years old. Both make uh, 5% annual withdrawals, increasing in line with inflation, so they keep the standard of living. Um, And both enjoy 5% investment returns, so quite strong investment returns, but historically not... Out of, out of kilter with what we've seen previously. Um, so the only difference is that the first investor pays 1.6% in charges, and the second investor pays 0.4% in charges, so no difference in investment performance or anything like that. So the only difference is the charge. Um, over the course of a retirement, so if um, if both investors run out of money, um, the first uh, investor A, so the one who pays the lowest charge, will run out of money at age 93, and they'll have taken £176,000 of income in total. Um, investor B would run out a lot earlier, so at age 88, and they'd have only taken £144,000 in income. So both taken more income than the starting fund value because they've enjoyed strong investment performance. But the investor paying the higher charge has missed out on £32,000 in retirement income, in effect, just by paying going to the higher charge provider versus the lower charge provider. Now, Clearly, with stuff like this, you've got to be loads of caveats. So the diff, you know, difference in investment performance. Um, so if you know, some, you know, you, certainly if you go to some fund managers, they'll use the kind of L'Oreal arguments. They'll say, we're worth it. We think it's, we're, we're, you know, it's because we're worth it. That's <laughs> yeah. why we, you, can, you need to pay us much more money. But you, I think the, the key thing to take away from these stats are, is that charges are incredibly important. They're the one thing that you really have control of as an investor so you put your trust in fund managers you put your trust in providers some people might be willing to pay a t- particular provider because it's got they feel it's got a better service or it's got a you know a slicker website or a better app or something like that and that's entirely uh, down to the individual investor but i think it's it's understanding the impact that even small differences in charges can have over a long a
1: long period of time and i guess if you're you know, if you're just looking at f- charges you still mm. and you think well okay i, I wouldn't if I get a good service, I don't mind paying a bit more. But you have to be a customer, don't you? Really, first to, to experience it. Otherwise, you sort of you're trusting um, these reviews. I, I, I'm increasingly seeing adverts like on the train station stuff. Where uh, um, it's trust pilot, isn't it? So they, they're sort of putting up and you know, saying, "This is we got the X amount of stars for service." So clearly, companies. It's not just finance. It's, yeah. it's, it's Across multiple industries, sort of saying um, the service that we provide is is this is. Truly valued by our customers, and you know you should judge us on this as well as simply yeah. uh, our, our sort of fees and stuff.
2: So. Yeah, and there's and there's and there's um there's absolutely nothing wrong with that either. I think as you know you don't want this. Um, a kind of race to the bottom where you, you, you just you, you pay whatever 0.01% but you've got you know if you've got a website that doesn't work and you can't make any trades and you, you can't see the value of your fund then clearly you're not going to be particularly happy with with what you've got. I think it, it's a uh, it's about un- uh, understanding the impact that those charges will have over over a long period of time and making sure you're happy with the value for money that you're getting so if you're paying you might be paying one percent but you as long as you know what impact that will have over a period of time you might be paying more to a fund manager but you might trust that fund manager and you know think that they've got good processes and strong performance and they're very transparent hopefully um then I, I i think it's just making sure that you understand the the impact that all those different things things have when you when you're making a purchase and deciding whether or not it is value for money i think one of the one of the dangers is that people think that they're getting value for money because they don't they, yeah, they, they'll say they'll see twenty basis points between one thing and another, and they'll think that makes no difference whatsoever. So I'll just go for the one that's slightly slicker, whereas actually that twenty basis points will make a, a huge difference over the over the longer the longer term. Yeah. So I think that's all been quite serious, hasn't it? I think I, I think that's this is what this is what happens when when Laura Laura Souter leaves the chair and I, <laughs> and I come in. It, it's less of a joke. The podcast are more of a serious thing, which I think is a positive, isn't it, Dan?
1: Well, don't worry. I'm going to talk about pubs in a minute. It'll so <laughs> we'll, we'll all go back to normality again.
2: Yeah, good. Um, so let's finish on a, a lighter note. So, Dan, you have been looking at the leisure sector and how we've been spending our money. So for me, when I was a, a younger man, it was all about the three Ps. So it was
1: a pint pie and pork scratching. Has that that changed (laughs) at all? It has slightly changed, yeah. I mean, there's some figures out this week about UK unemployment is 3.9%. So you have to go back to the sort of mid-70s when it was lower than that. So lots and lots of people are in work. Mm. um, And the average weekly earnings are growing by about 3.4%. So inflation is just below 2%. So you're sort of looking at... 1.5 percent increase in your pay after adjusting for inflation so so theoretically we should have the capacity to be spending some money Mm. so the latest retail sales figures would suggest we ain't going to the shops to spend (laughs) our money so so how are we doing it so i actually think if it's the small sort of ticket items in our life is is where we're, we're sort of splashing the cash um and the leisure sector is the beneficiary of this so um something looking at it. i think i think it's so it's bowling cinema mm. um wet lead pubs so that's that's pubs where you go for to drink not to eat um, oh, okay, and gyms—that's that's kind of where the money's going at the moment. So I mean, Holly, where, do, where do, are, do they? Does that sound like yeah, your it lifestyle? Yeah, sounds
0: great. Problem bowling.
2: because <laughs> 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 I still need the bumpers out.
1: <laughs> pub, 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 and then gym—is it pub first, gym pub, after? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: that
1: makes for a hell of a workout. <laughs> so we've had—if um, you—if you think about your life, there's lots of competition for the leisure sector. So if you are increasingly one of these people who work for a serviced office, like the, the we work mm. um, thing now they all seem to be giving like free beer and, and pool tables um you know do you re- you don't need to go out you could just live there forever <laughs> can't you so. i went i went to one i went to
2: a, my first ever we work office um was it last week um incredible I, mean, I found it such an odd experience because so to my mind that, that i think i mean it's obviously an incredible business model that they've that they've created but i i walked in and, and the guy was kind of showing me around all the different offices and things like that and it's it's basically a little cubby hole but because they've made it so stylish everyone's absolutely delighted yeah to be there he's so happy to be there and he's kind of showing me he's like this is these are our two desks here and I was kind of I, was, I think I think expecting me to be incredibly impressed And I was yeah. kind of yep yeah, it's two desks but then they do yeah they have the beer taps and it's yeah. you know it's overlooking some incredible city offices and things right. like that and I can I can understand why people have yeah have kind of kind of got into it. <laughs> I don't know how you get any work done though when no. you've got a beer tap right there. Mm. Very, very difficult. Yeah
0: I, I've been there in a wee work when the beer runs out though. <gasps> Does it that kick is off? a sad sad hour. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> how long have you been drinking there? <laughs> well you know, they start at midday. <laughs> but if, if,
1: if you're at home you've got this the, the, the home is competition to leisure as well mm-hmm. so um you know we can all sit around watching netflix or something like that or or the rise of online food ordering so um you, you know your just eats and your uber eats of the world and with that that's made life very hard for restaurants they've they've been sort of slashing their prices to try and compete against this mm-hmm. and even even the restaurants that use these services to deliver at home i don't know about you but you know if you order a, a takeaway y- you don't tend to order the drinks with it as well yeah. so the restaurants losing out money there um and so the 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 pubs that have been relying on food of course they're coming up the same competition which goes back to why sort of this this wet lead or sort of pubs that rely on drinking are actually doing quite well that you know they haven't got this sort of competition there and also this general sort of push for people wanting experiences rather than material goods i think if you go the pubs that are thriving now are ones that are doing like quizzes. Um, they have sort of live music. Um, you know, go and do some darts, or even sort of virtual reality stuff. Yeah. I mean, look, Tom's Tom's face is he's is smiling. <laughs> i, I, I hear talking more about, about the virtual reality <laughs> th- I thought I thought it was the darts. He like, <laughs> was like, it's bringing back memories of last night. <laughs> Um, but you know, so th- th- this even younger people who are, are not drinking as much, mm. they still want to go out and enjoy themselves. So they are still going to the pub. They're just not drinking alcohol or as much alcohol as perhaps as previous generations. Mm. So, um, so it's no surprise then if you look at if you if you apply this to the stock market, the best performing. Pub company on the stock market over the last year has been EI, better known as Enterprise Inns. Mm. And they're the ones that they're just relying on drink, not food. And if you look at Mitchell's and Butler, who is the owner of Harvester and lots of sort of the other sort of food places, they barely, it's flat. You know, you've made no money on it at all versus, you know, EI is up. Um, Sixty-seven percent in a year, in a massive difference if you'd been invested in that. But then, if you look at costs, so this month you've seen the national living wage has gone up four point nine percent. So if you're twenty-five or over, you'll get eight pound twenty-one an hour. Um, you've also had—we were talking earlier about pen, you know, pension contributions are changing. So even employers are having to pay more into a pension now than they were. So this is these are cost pressures for companies. Um, so if you think about the restaurants are are struggling because they've got competition and they've got rising costs. Wet led pubs—they don't have people, not as many people working there because there's no one. So sort of, you don't need people to sort mm. of go and deliver your food to the table. and No one's working in the kitchen, so th- the cost pressures are less for them. And even gyms as well. I mean, don't, uh, uh, the gym that we use at, for work—you put your thumbprint in to get to get on a machine to get in. Um, I, I think I must have seen one person work there or something, but yeah. it, it, I, I presume. But legally, they must have someone in case sort of all the weights sort of fall on you while you're <laughs> doing it. But um, you yeah. know, as, as a model, the gym. Don't really need to employ people, so th- this is why, kind of maybe why you know, th- they're thriving. And also, we we like like doing this. Holly, are you, are you a gym freak?
0: Freak is strong. <laughs> Go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'd be interested with that as well. With, you know, the experiences, seeing how that translates into spending how the holiday companies are doing because Mm. so many people seem to go well I'm not going to go out for a fancy meal once a week or once a fortnight I'm just going to save it all up and go on some really awesome holidays throughout the year so that must do quite well for the travel and tourism sector.
1: Yeah Tui one of the big tour operators was talking earlier this year about actually one of the strongest areas of demand was was sort of experience specific holidays where you say I'm going to go to Italy to do sort of um, you know a baking holiday something it's not simply just like booking Mm -hmm. a a room and a a flight you're actually going to do something so it's trying new things out in the world where where are you going Tom on your summer holiday this year?
2: Uh, So I've got got a couple actually so I'm going to uh, I'm going to Dubrovnik for the first time no no nothing sp- specific plan there although doing the old airbnb and then deciding when we get there yeah and then uh, and then I'm going
1: to Ibiza oh is that a, a clubbing themed holiday it's for you the
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's no theme yeah um, but uh, I think it'll it's a, it's a couples holiday so we've yeah. got like a villa and there'll be six of us so I think we'll probably you know probably go and venture and see a few of the Few of the sites, maybe hit a phone party. Very something cool. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, went to Is I went,
0: phone party, still a thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, 90s, I'll, I'll let you know so. when I come
2: back. I went, I went to, <laughs> this might not be one for the podcast, but I went, I went to a phone party when I was like 18, 17, 18, I think I was 17 in Lorette de Mar. And um, <laughs> I had to, <laughs> I must be the only, so I went to, I was a wide eyed kid, very excited. Um, and uh, I, I, I came out with a, I had a, got a Bob Marley henna tattoo. <laughs> don't know why. Um, and uh, and I, and what but while I was in there, the f- a foam phone party started yeah. going, or the phone started coming down, and <laughs> it reacted really badly with my eyes. Oh. So I, <laughs> I had to buy some goggles. <laughs> Which I don't th- I don't know if that's a normal thing or not, but my mm. eyes like flared up yeah. like. Oh what you a sensitive believe. soul you are. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: imagine someone with his little snorkel propping out the top of the foam. <laughs> I
2: mean maybe I mean, you know, maybe there's something in that. Yeah, phone yeah. party goggles, phone party snorkels. I think there's I think there's a business opportunity. Maybe that's what Laura's doing. Yeah, probably. Launching her own range of phone party goggles. I'd like to to think that's the case anyway.
0: Suited snorkels.
2: (laughs) (laughs) On that bombshell. Um, Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining us this week. Holly, that was great. Um, I'll be back with Dan next week while Laura's still raving away in the med. Um, we've got the third in our trio of national adi- national journalists appearing as a guest next week. Are we going to give anyone a clue as to who that is? No, 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 no. Yeah, c- keep, keep, it as a, keep it as a surprise. Yeah, 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 Build up the tension. That's fine. Um, so make sure you tune in for that. For now, uh, you can send any thoughts or ideas you have to podcast at ajbell.co.uk. See you again next week. Thanks. Bye.
0: Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply. Thank you